Hello and welcome to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. It's the podcast where I sit down with an extraordinary person and share their story. They might have overcome something amazing or they might still be on their journey with stories that will make you laugh, cry and hopefully feel just that little bit inspired. My guest today is one of the most familiar faces on your telly. Starting out by beating 3,000 other hopefuls to win a presenting gig on MTV, this hard-working lady didn't let the opportunity go to waste. And in the 12 years since, she has become known for her appearances on Celebrity Juice, I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here Now, Strictly Come Dancing and countless red carpets. She most famously kicked off 2020 by being named as the new host of Love Island, one of the biggest shows on TV. Along the way, she's dealt with her own struggles of body image, self-doubt and insecurity. However, what she's managed to do is turn those experiences into a positive by writing them down. She's just released her new book, No One Can Change Your Life Except For You. Laura Whitmore joins me now. Hello. That's lovely. That's nice. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. I always wonder, do people hate the intro? Do they it's, love the yeah, intro? It's so weird because, like, yeah, I mean, you very rarely hear people saying nice things about you. Sometimes <laughs> you're like, oh, um, and you forget as well. I'm like, oh, God, I started 12 years ago. I still feel, I don't know, but you, do you ever just feel like I'm still new at doing things? And they're like, yeah. oh, I've been around for a while. Well, it's like sometimes you can feel really proud of yourself and sometimes you can have that imposter syndrome mm-hmm. where you, you don't feel like certain things are credited to you feel real. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it must be quite surreal at the moment writing your book. I was, I mean, I've got a copy of the book um, and I was thinking, well, how, how would you name it? Is it is it a memoir? Is it a self-help book? Is it is it a combination? Yeah, it's tough. It's it's because, I, I mean, I, like someone's like, what's your book about? And I'm like, well, let me give you like a chapter of an explanation. Um, it's definitely not a memoir, but I think you can only write about what you know. So I'd say like anecdotal and um, there's definitely anecdotes from my own life. And for it's the first book I've written. I love writing. Um, and I came from a background, more a journalistic background, um, mm-hmm. more like a newsroom and then kind of got into music. And, and I've written quite a lot of articles over the last few years, but writing the long form, um, as you know, is very different. <laughs> it's very Hard. different. Yeah. Um, and trying to bring all those ideas together into one thing. And there was kind of a common theme um, around a lot of things that I was writing. And I kept coming back to the you. Um, and, and for me... For me, I, I'd say it's definitely anecdotal. It's definitely... Self-help. People are scared of the word self-help, aren't they? Like when you say it. They're like, but it's oh so God, broad so- now though, isn't it? It's, it's not so broad. what it used to be. Like, yeah. But if you actually think about what it means, do you want to help yourself? I mean, if you're mm-hmm. not going to help yourself, no one else is. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, it's like little little things I've kind of picked up. I've done a lot of research. You mentioned imposter syndrome there. And that's something I've dealt with for a long time. And I was really surprised when I started out in my career. And I'd interview these massive stars um, for MTV and like massive and the most successful people you can imagine. And then Katie, they'd be the most insecure, um, unaware, modest people. Um, not everyone, but like a lot, <laughs> a lot would be. And like, oh, they don't really realize how good they are. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love this podcast when you use the word extraordinary because we're always like, I, I don't know. I always feel like, I mean, you feel embarrassed to even have that word associated with my name because 
I just I'm like I, I I still I'm like I can't believe I'm in this industry or I do what I do or someone would be bothered to interview me or talk to me because I'm so used to like other people's stories are more interesting than my own I feel um but that's quite I a just, British thing though don't you think like yeah. self-deprecating and, and embarrassed yeah. to celebrate yourself and big time and like Irish people are a million times worse <laughs> like we're like and because if you're if you in any way accept a compliment or like it took me a long time to take a compliment. And then if you take it, you know, people kind of look to you and look at her full of herself. Well, mm. then you go to America. I mentioned this in the book. And I remember getting told off by my agents because I couldn't sell myself in rooms. Yeah, you have to be really big headed. I couldn't do it because I felt mortified. Fan. I was like, oh yeah. my God. Like, you know, even like the basics of someone would say, oh, I... I really like your top. I'm like, oh, this whole thing, this is really old. It's falling apart. I got it on yeah, sale. Yeah, you just deflect. The, yeah. Yeah, it's really... But I wonder also, it's interesting because um, for men, you know, it's like if you... I always remember when I was interviewing people to work with me at my charity, and when you interview men, they almost exaggerate their achievements, which kind of works well in an interview, you know, good for them. And when you interview women, you have to really pull out their achievements. And if you've researched them before, you might know more about them than they end up selling to you in the interview. Because yeah. they don't want to be big-headed. It's, it's I, such I, a different... I agree. And and this imposter syndrome, I kind of became obsessed with this from, from seeing all these different people I'd interview. So for this book, I talk a lot about it, but I also researched it. I researched mm. where this came from, where it was coined, this term. And it was in the 70s. These two women did a lot of research. And it came from other women. It came from women in, you know, high, powerful jobs, mainly in, like, the financial industry, um, who were surrounded by men and who kind of didn't see themselves there um and then felt alienated like they shouldn't be there and they didn't fit in there and that's where uh, men men of course can get imposter syndrome but it came from really successful women and they couldn't work out what this phenomenon was and they called it um imposter the imposter phenomenon um Mm. uh because you 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 couldn't really understand your own success or and and you know you couldn't understand why what made you extraordinary to be where you are and we're constantly feeling I feel like this that like I'm faking it till I make it yeah yeah and that one day someone's going to just tap me in the shoulder and be find like, you out find you yeah. out and you know what? I was like I'm not even going to complain I'll just leave I'll be like do you know what 12 years grand I'm out of here it's good I'll go yeah. back home um, I totally get it because even now in the past when we had the first lockdown lockdown one like, I really felt like oh um my job doesn't really exist and it's not really important and it, it's all sort of irrelevant now and actually everything I was doing was made up and had like this really I mean I feel different now mm. we've sort of been living like this for a year and I'm now working it but when we had that pause I had that real panic of like oh none of this is real and it's all finished yeah and I think we all did I think the last year we've all had time to reflect um for me writing this book I've kind of been writing bits of it for like four years oh really and nothing like a pandemic Katie nothing like a pandemic <laughs> and a lockdown to make you you know, reflect on life and finish those projects you've never finished before. And and it did kind of make me think. And things that people would say that would really affect me and why they affected me, like, what is it you do exactly? And I don't know if you get that. And Passive like, aggressive. And like, of, what box? Yeah. So are you a presenter or you just did a play for six months and you're going to write now? But, oh, I see you on these, like, lists of, like, you know, fashion magazines and things like that so what what who are you what do you do and it used to like really frustrate me and for me it felt like a trigger and I was like why is this upsetting me so much these other people's opinions I know what I do I know mm-hmm. my purpose and why I do that and I had to keep coming back to that because I work in an industry as do you where a lot of the times like we can now we can create our own content and I feel the world is moving 
towards something that's quite hopeful, even in a world of social media full of negativity, there's something quite hopeful in that. But I spend a lot of my life waiting to be picked for a job, waiting to Mm -hmm. be chosen. We grow up going, does that boy like me or does that girl like me? Am I going to be chosen for this? Am I going to be picked for Mm -hmm. the team? Will I get that job? And the onus is always on someone else. Uh, And I've done that too, where I like, you know, you're like, oh, well, like, oh, they just, they didn't pick me or this is the reason why. And and then I kind of had to go, do you know what? I'm not responsible for other people's decisions, mm-hmm. but I'm responsible for my own decisions. And I actually have some power in my life, believe it or not. I actually yeah. get to make decisions and I need to stop putting that on other people and take back that control. And that's everything I'd written kind of all accumulated to this concept. So it's yeah so when you when you go back to the first question which was is it a memoir is it self-help it's kind of a mixture of everything it's it's um again we put books in boxes like we put people in boxes and I think mm. uh, hopefully this will tick many boxes and I'm hoping different people will get something out of it whether you're a younger girl an older girl male female whatever that I hope you get something from this and everyone will maybe connect to a certain chapter more than others. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to hear everything you just said, because I feel exactly the same. You know, even when I'm trying to explain to my accountant what it is I'm doing this year, you know, (laughs) because some people don't even understand some of the new roles that that are happening in the last few years. If I have to go to kind of family parties or, you know, because I've got kids and I have to go to sort of more stuff to do with school parents or corporate stuff, a world where people don't recognise that you can be out of work for six months and it doesn't mean you're not successful mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean you're not earning money mm-hmm. and actually in that downtime everything else you do around your research prep image is all part of your next job or winning your next job yeah. um, and you can start to doubt yourself if you're if it's too difficult to explain and you start stumbling you know there's a generation that likes a clear title yeah and that's all and, it and has it's, a probably, pension, it's probably and the it's... older generation I'm actually really hopeful for the younger generation um yeah and and what they're achieving and what they're questioning rather than just accepting things as they are I, I remember you know even the career guidance counselor at school and them you know I had to write an essay about what I wanted to do this is when I was like 16 <laughs> what do you want to do yeah. for the rest of your life and I was just like I don't really know like I love writing I wanted to study journalism I also like drama and I liked acting mm-hmm. and in the end I just wrote a whole f- um, essay about being a lawyer because it was just it was like a lawyer teacher doctor it just fit it into one of those boxes and I made it easy yeah. and I think I got an A in it and I was like do you know what easy because if I try to begin what I actually want to do tick the box tick Sorry. the box and yeah I like I feel like you know you've made your own job you like who are you what do you do and I'm, I'm, I spend a full-time being Katie Piper. That's what you do. Do you know what I yeah. mean? But it sounds too arrogant. A woman can't say that. Yeah, I, <laughs> a woman cannot yeah, say that. Yeah, what do you do? Yeah. I, I'm Katie Piper. I'm actually really good at it. I'm yeah. the best at being at this job. No one else can do this job. Yeah, it's so funny because one of my questions that you've, you've answered it, and, I, you know, it was, well, is it important for you to be put in a box? Because, mm. uh, you know, you are also an actress and for that you have to take on a character, a persona, Um I wondered if actually sometimes it's therapeutic for you to take on characters. That's a really good question because yeah, it's it's sometimes it's harder to be yourself, isn't it? Um, yeah. For me, for me, it's all storytelling. I love stories. I just love stories. I love other people's stories. Um, I love writing stories. And I think whether you're interviewing someone, I I, I feel there's a similar similarity between interviewing someone and playing a role. 
because mm-hmm. you have to you have to get their stories you have to like ask the questions whether it's on television or for a podcast or whether you have a role and you're playing a character and you kind of have to do your research and ask those questions so um you know when I get things like oh so you're not doing MTV for a few months but you're going to do this play I'm like it's not like going from gynecology to carpentry do you know what I mean yes. it's not it's not it's that all drastic. in the same genre yeah, yeah it's all yeah. storytelling and it's all interesting for me and I'm like and it's we can't just stay static and and be this we're constantly evolving that's the joy of being Mm. humans we're evolving and that's why the last chapter of my book is called you learn Mm -hmm. which is um because I I kind of refer back to a lot of songs in my life and that was a Lannis Marset song and uh oh I love Lannis Marset love her there's there's a lot of 90s flashback with music in this book (laughs) but um I I love that. I love that you're constantly learning. You, you, mm. None of us, like, I'm not an expert writing this book. Like, I, all I can write about is what I know and what I've picked up from meeting people through the years. And I've had a very privileged life of traveling because of my work, which mm-hmm. I recognize. Um, I've, I've had choices that my grandparents didn't have, that my granny didn't have, my great granny didn't have. Um, and I recognize that. And I'm like, what can I write about that I've kind of picked up over the years uh, and put it in one place? And even by doing that, I'm learning because I'm like, I had to kind of go back to places I haven't been in in a while, like whether it's like early relationships or mm-hmm. why you do those things. And I remember like looking back at 12 years ago and I won a competition to be an MTV presenter. And I was like, not the obvious choice for people who knew me from home I was definitely not the obvious choice MTV was quite a cool station at the time and I was interviewing all these bands and anyone who knew me from school I was a nerd but I was like oh really oh I couldn't imagine that such a nerd like I went to a convent and like okay I didn't like sit beside a boy in a like until I went to university Mm -hmm. and um and it's just not like I wasn't the cool girl I did debating and I stayed after school to like do drama and uh, <laughs> I played like hockey and like badminton not even the cool sports and <laughs> <laughs> um, so it was just a bit yeah people didn't really probably ex- I, I constantly feel like I'm doing what I'm not supposed to do mm. and you know what I quite like that yeah well exactly I mean like wired here to those expectations I mean that's something that you talk about in the book is um expectation being the root of all heartache yeah and and that really, I reread and reread that part because I was like, she's so right. And, I, and like for me, I feel like I've taken quite a long time to learn that. And I wondered what led you to that thought and how long did it take you to kind of get to that conclusion? I mean, there's my dog. <laughs> there's someone at the door. Let me let him out now because he's going to be really loud yeah. in a second. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then he's just grabbed the dog. It was all nice and calm and we're getting into lovely conversations and then reminds us that we're all working from home. It's fine. It's life. <laughs> no high expectations. No, no high expectations. <laughs> Keep them low. Um, yeah, expectations. Uh, I, this, this is something that, I mean, I'm still kind of, I wish I had it all figured out. I don't. And mm. um it, I just realized, you know, I talk about like other people's opinion of me matter, matter, used to matter more than it does now. But then I realized sometimes it's not other people's expectations. It's the expectations I put on myself that I think other yeah. people have of me. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, and we kind of give ourselves these notions, uh, I say, of uh, what we should be doing, that word should. And I do talk about that a lot. Like I should do this. I'm at this age now. This is what I should do. Um, and really. Like other people, 
what they expect of you. Everyone's so self-absorbed. They don't really care what other people are doing. They'll make comments and then they'll forget about it. Um, yeah. And it's more, it's more ourselves. And I had to look at like the pressures I was putting on myself. And I think we sort of kind of have to rip up that rule book. Um, and do you it, think it's hard though as well? Like because, because you're a, a woman mm. in a competitive kind of freelance industry as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's set the same for guys, but it feels more heightened for women there's a lot of comparisons and again you know you talk about comparisons um yeah. in the book is it something that you've struggled with in and out of work yeah like I I remember even like I got my first job from a competition like the word itself there is yeah. repeat but I never at the time I was just loving life because I I you know I, I came from a single parent background in Ireland um my mom is an incredible woman very headstrong raised her daughter herself worked full-time so I always had this you know, strong work ethic where you have to work hard. Um, mm. And I didn't know anyone in the TV world. And I entered this competition to kind of hopefully get an email address or maybe some work experience or some sort of, you know, get into MTV or get in, get to London, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, was that the plan? Because I came from like a really small village yeah. and my plan was like, get to London. That was like the kind of thing. See the world. Like, how can you understand the world if you haven't seen it? And mm-hmm. um, and like, I love where I come from, but it's small and you see the same people and it's the same like if all you know is one thing it's not your fault you just haven't seen the options you haven't had choice or options so mm. I was very grateful that like what I didn't expect to win at all like at all so mm-hmm. I never saw it as a competition I just saw it as like I've got an email address and I'm in London and isn't this great um, and it was only like after a few years of being in the industry that I saw this not even rivalry between women that I felt like was forced upon us. And even like, you know, the first time I was in like a fashion magazine and it's like, I was wearing the same outfit as someone else. And it was like, mm. who wore it best? And I'm like, we both look shit hot, you know? Like, why, yeah. why can't that be the narrative? Yeah. Um, but that's been, but we become so immune to seeing that all the time. And I kind of thought, oh, well, I've seen other women that happens to other women. So that that's just... Normal. Like, that's normal, and and like I almost felt like, oh yeah, I'm I've made it that far that I'm being compared to other women, rather than going, well, that's absolutely shit. <laughs> like, uh-huh. rather than celebrating both of us looking great, we have to decide who looks better, and um, rather than then celebrating the fact that we're both unique and individual and accessorized differently, we have to mm. be like, oh well, one of them is is clearly going to you know be be better at styling themselves than the other, and it just it just frustrated me, and then I felt the more I kind of it's really annoying. The better I did, the more I was put up against other women. Mm-hmm. And really, it's it's because of other women that I do what I do. It's it's growing up watching telly in Ireland, and I'd see in Ireland broadcasters like Miriam O'Callaghan, who I love, watching like Davina McCall, watching Kat Dealey on a Saturday with Atten Deck, and and seeing these strong women made me want to get into telly. So why why do I have to suddenly be competing with them? Did you always know from a young age then that the acting, presenting, it was something that you wanted to pursue and were passionate about? Yeah, I kind of like, I knew I wasn't very good at sitting still. My mom told me that. <laughs> but I was quite quiet. I was quiet when I was younger. Um, so much so that the teacher was worried about me. I was quite small. I didn't grow for ages. I'm quite tall now, <laughs> but I used to, it was really small. So I looked smaller than everyone else. I was really quiet. So I think the teacher brought my mom in and was like, oh, Laura, you know, she doesn't communicate that much in class. Maybe send her to some drama lessons. And I think she did that when I was about like six or seven. And she said, the girl who came home was a different person. <laughs> really? Like, so do you think you were shy before? Is that fair to say? Yeah. And do you know, um, like a lot of people have talked about this before, like 
the space you have in a room. You always want to be small. You don't want to take, as a female, we don't want to take up much space, God forbid. Mm-hmm. And that beca- that's associated with body image, why we always want mm-hmm. to be smaller and thinner. And, and whenever, you know, we're always kind of, God forbid you're taking up too much room or you're too loud or you're too bossy or you're too opinionated. So you kind of want to take up that space. And I think from a young age, I had this brilliant drama teacher who it's okay to be loud and mm. not to speak over other people, but it's okay to say your piece. Um, mm. And also listen as well, listening, taking up space by being present with all the conversations that are going in this room. And I think it's quite a lot for a six or seven year old to take in. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I it's do remember. Subconsciously, yeah. isn't yeah. it? And like you said, it's actually about those role models who are doing it before you and showing you and you're, and you're sort of being inspired and following that lead. Yeah, definitely. And I, like the first chapter in the book, um, the book kind of centers around a poem I wrote last year around International Women's Day called She. Mm-hmm. And the first line of the poem is She is Strong. And I talk a lot about women mm. and a lot about women in my life and my grandmother and my mom but then also on the wider scale Alanis Morissette like listening to the music of Alanis when I was like early teens and going what is yeah. this this is amazing and Dolores Reardon from the Cranberries and and then you know people in politics like Mary Robinson who was the first female president of Ireland and and I remember watching I was I must have been about eight or nine, I remember watching Mary Robinson, who's the first president, female president of Ireland. And she was on the news and she was in Somalia and it was a huge crisis going on. She was surrounded by all these locals. And, you know, she was in a man's world um, because all the other politicians were male. Mm-hmm. And she got, she cried. And I remember it was a big thing at the time where it was like, oh my God, like, you know, a woman crying on television, you know, she's getting emotional and as though that's a negative thing. And I remember thinking that's really empowering because having emotion is not a bad thing. Having emotion shows that you have feeling and you care. And connection with real people, something in common. Yeah. 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 That human side. I guess it's almost actually being strong enough to be able to cry on telly is actually a strength. And I also think there's a lot of politicians at the moment who could do with showing some emotion sometimes. <laughs> but genuine ones. We don't, yeah, we don't want any bad ones. Not the fake ones. I can't bad ones. that. No, <laughs> I can think of some of those. Authenticity yeah. is something that we need to talk about. <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? No. Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Hello, you hungry people. I bring news. Yes, season five of Out to Lunch with me, Jay Rayner, is upon us. The world may have been in meltdown, but I've been using my time wisely, sharing fabulous meals with fascinating people and asking them prying questions. As a long-serving restaurant critic, my theory has always been that the best interviews happen over food, and the proof is this podcast. In season five, you'll find me dining my guests in top restaurants or with lockdown-compliant takeaways over Zoom. People like Darren Brown. Well, I do like a Gruner Feltler, does you do that by the glass? Yeah. Yes, we do. What would I like? What would you... Oh, don't start. Oh, do, I, do I have to guess? 
Paloma Faith. I've also been told off for telling Samuel L. Jackson what to do. Sophie Ellis Baxter. Just bring it all in. He's, he's shucking the oysters. Somebody's shucking oysters. <laughs> the oysters are being shucked at the boot of the car, apparently. Noel Clark. So we have lobster meter. Oh my God. Oh my. <laughs> Philippa Perry. I always like a man in makeup because they're, they're improved by it, but I hate false boobs. Hate them. Tom Allen. I do know a bit about patissiere because I knew what a ganache was before any of my friends at school did, but then they were actually quite happily getting fingered. So <laughs> And more. So subscribe now in all the usual places. Episodes drop weekly from Tuesday, the 26th of January, 2021. I thought reading your book, it was very authentic. Um, That's nice. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. Yeah. And actually, I do feel that you're not really one of those people that kind of blogs and Instagrams loads of stuff about their personal life. So not. I'm not saying that you're not normally authentic, but you're normally private and professional. It's totally protective, if, if I'm honest. That's boundaried yeah. but just yeah. boundaried healthy boundaries um so i did wonder if when people buy this book and read it are they going to have any misconceptions blown out of the water do you think people have misconceptions about you oh definitely i mean everyone will have an opinion of some degree whether it's the extreme sides of the spectrum whether you're the worst person in the world or the greatest person in the world and neither are true um so yeah, I think I've always been very cautious. Um, writing the book was lovely because I kind of wrote it without thinking anyone would read it. Do, do you got the, and then you, I, do you do I that? think that's, yeah. uh, I so believe you because I always think that's an, an ignorant thing that I think, but also an insecure thing that I think. And then and then a really double insecure thing is, oh, I really hope they don't read it in case it's crap. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Or I've said too much. And, and then the, the yeah. joy is you do it in your own time. It's not like live television or it's not like mm. putting up a post on Instagram straight away. It's you write it. And I've tried to do this with, with this book. And then you kind of leave that chapter and I'll go back to that chapter maybe in a few weeks when I've written a bit more and I'll see how I feel. And if there's things in there that I feel I'm not ready to share or I don't want to share, I can take it out. But at mm. the time I was as honest as possible. And a lot of times I just end up keeping everything in because I'm like, it's there for a reason. But there's there's a it's a safe space because it's it's yeah. my book and it's my writing and it's not being interviewed by a newspaper where something you say is taken out of context. Um, mm. And that's why I love podcasts because I think the whole thing is there for someone to listen to and the tone is there. It's conversational. Yeah. It's not rushed. Well, when you do, and I've done this in the past, and I'm sure you've done it, where you've done an interview and a soundbite is taken and a quote is taken and a headline is twisted and that's not the context or what you meant or you never actually spoke about that. And that's, yeah. that's what made me be protective and mm -hmm. and I'd have things especially when I start I'm, I do feel the landscape is changing a bit I'm trying to be hopeful I'm an optimistic person as I talk about but yeah I, I do feel like I was worried about if I ever say anything about I've always been private about relationships but you're with someone for like four years they do mm. pop up every now and then because they're in your you life can't avoid you it. can't avoid yeah. it yeah and then I remember once being interviewed by a journalist and I was for work it was for a tv show and I had the press was part of the promo and and um, they start asking me about, you know, my other half, Ian. And I was like, oh, I'd rather not talk about it. Um, can mm. we talk about the show? And they were like, but you put a picture up of the two of you on Instagram last week. And I was like, yeah, like yeah. my choice. <laughs> Just, yeah. Like that's a di very different 
I situation. I consented. Yeah, yeah consent. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. and then I said, like, oh God, if I ever put a picture up, does that mean that basically people have ownership over this? And I don't know what the right or wrong thing is. I'm trying to navigate myself through it, but. I was like, why do I? And that's what probably made me so protective because I probably was burned in the past. Or, Mm. you know, if you go through a breakup and people kind of know about the relationship, then suddenly Mm -hmm. they feel they have a right to talk about it. Yeah, it's really hard. I mean, I, when I was first met my partner, who's I'm now married to, we didn't, he's got a normal job. Mm -hmm. He's a carpenter. He has friends that, you know, his workmates that aren't involved in the media world. So he didn't really want to be involved in that. To the point where I would just go to red carpet things with people I work with Mm -hmm. or on my own or with hair and makeup people. And then it became like our social life was further and further apart Mm -hmm. and we would hardly see each other. And then when we had our first child, I kind of had to talk about him and people were like, well, you're not married and you haven't been together long. And I'm like, well, no, we're not married and and that's okay. Mm -hmm. And actually we have been together long, but we just haven't really spoken about it. And then it was the same thing where that led on to like massive ownership because now I'd spoken about it and really weird questions like, oh, is he okay about the way you look? And it's like, do you know what? When you're in a long-term relationship with someone, you don't ask them if the way you look is okay with them because like what that's... What an inappropriate question for someone Fucking to ask. weird. Like, it's fu- like yeah. some of the stuff you're like, are you serious? I was talking to um, Tan France, who I love um, from uh, Queer Eye, and he yeah. was like talking about Queer Eye and he said, someone just start asking him about like his... Like, sexual preferences in bed and he was like yeah. like would you do that to a friend in a bar even that like let alone to like someone you don't know but also this desperation for some people to want to ha- your story to have a beginning a middle and an end and a lot of people wanting this narrative for me to say I'm so lucky he's with me and I met him and it's like they've, I'm written, not gonna... they've written what they want to write yeah. already they just yeah and I'm like, I'm not going to give young girls that narrative because um, neither of us are lucky. We both decided to enter in a mutual relationship mm-hmm. and we can both leave at any time. It's nothing to do with like, I'm grateful to him or he's grateful to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a normal it's relationship, a yeah, it's, it's which is quite boring to write about, yeah. I guess. You know, there's, there's no kind of like uplifting moment of feeling so lucky that I'm not single or something, you know. Oh, it's just, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm like, would, do you think a guy would get asked those questions as much Probably uh-huh. not. Um, I know. And and also women are talked about how they look so much. Like I just, I get so frustrated about, like I, we both work really, really hard. And there's so many different, like people will see nice pretty pictures in a dress at something at mm. an event. And I'm like, well, I've actually been at that event at, to work or mm-hmm. I'm there because maybe you've been like nominated for a show you're in or whatever the reason is. And the the whole storyline is like what you're wearing at the red carpet or mm-hmm. um, when I was single, it's like who you were seen with because God forbid I was just single and like there for fun. And yeah. of course I was there to find a man, like, you know, and it just <laughs> pissed me off because like I just felt the men I was working with weren't getting this like I was. Mm, um, I'm sure they were getting something else that they were annoyed about, but it just, it, was, it just felt so unfair um, and made me so angry. But then again, a part of me didn't say anything because I said, like, oh, well, all the other women who I respect have gone before me. I've seen them talked about this way. Mm-hmm. Rather than go, well, So it's the norm again. Maybe like yeah. I should say something about it or some of, mm. we should all talk about it. Um, mm. Because otherwise it's just going to be the same for the next generation and the next generation. Well, I did wonder, and selfishly, this is just for like my own research, because mm-hmm. I'm wondering if I should be doing this myself. If the Laura Whitmore that we see on TV is a different character to the one at home, 
And if it is, is that necessary? Like, because when we think of corporate professional people in the city, they're definitely different people at work yeah. to who they are at home because that's the requirement. That's your job. And, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's confusing, isn't it? Because our job is supposed to be to be natural and genuine. But yeah. I don't know if that's wrong. Well, it's like a mixture of both. Like, I am there to do a job. It even reminds me of like when, you know, I worked on Love Island last year. And I'm a huge fan of that show. And I'd never been in the villa before. And I was in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And the first time I walked into the villa, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Look at the beds, look at this. And then I had to, like, the producer was like, now, remember, while you're in there, you're the boss. <laughs> and and I had to kind of go in there. I remember, like, you kn- so one of the one of the girls in there, the Islanders, Shauna, there was, they were in a relationship, Shauna and Callum. And Callum, Callum went to Castlemore. He was coming back with another girl. I knew mm. this because I had seen this already behind the scenes. Shauna oh, okay. didn't know. I went in and all I wanted to do was like tell her to run. <laughs> I was like, you've got the I hot was like, tea. I was yeah. like, pick someone else. And she didn't. She was waiting for him. And I was like, I can't be Laura here because this is my job. I have to go in there as the host and do my job and like not make eye contact. And it was really hard. So I do think it's okay to have two different personas because I have a job to do. Mm. The same with like on radio, I, I have a radio show on BBC and you kind of have to show both sides of the story. So sometimes I'll be interviewing someone and I just want to be like, you're bloody wrong. But I can't say that. So I have to be like, well, let's look at both sides. So I definitely think it's okay. I think there's definitely a side of my personality there. Um, You you can't fake it. It's Mm. it's who you are. I'm curious. I love stories and I'll, 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 that's, that's me naturally. But I think it's okay to be, not to give your whole self away. Um, mm. And, you know, a lot of people will ask questions about my personal life. And I'm like, do you know what? Like I, like when I first started dating Ian, like I didn't, we didn't talk about it for like, like probably similar to you. Like we didn't talk about it until I think a paper wrote about it. Um, yeah. And I was like, like I talk about him all the time to my mates, WhatsApp groups, mm-hmm. like girly chats. We go out for a drink and I'll talk till the cows come home with them. That doesn't mean I have to tell the world though. Mm. Do you know what? I did wonder if some of the more recent announcements that you had made, you'd actually been forced to. Some I I didn't even make, to be honest. Yeah, Yeah. because I know at the moment you're pregnant um, and you've you've got married. And I wondered if you were kind of pushed to say those things or if actually you had decided anyway at this stage, I'm going to release this. Well, to be honest with you, I never kind of thought the release thing because... I, I don't know I just it just never came into my head we got engaged over a year ago we told our friends and family mm. I never put any pictures up on Instagram I never said anything there was a lot of other stuff going on that happened afterwards and then we're in a pandemic and a lockdown and then I didn't get to see all my friends and family so I didn't even get to tell everyone and uh this the, yeah then so I, we never really publicly said anything because we didn't need to and then then it, if I'm honest with you it just got really awkward because we ended up getting married and having our dream ceremony and everything that we'd always planned to do um, with the group of people we wanted to do it with. And then a a paper printed our marriage search, which I didn't know you could, I don't even have it. And I don't know, right. like, I was like, where does this come from? That has like our addresses on it and family wow. details. Surely that's data protection and well, they like could, privacy. I think doors. they had to like cross out our actual address, but like birth certificates, death certificates, marriage certificates are open for anybody, but you just don't think you'll see it in the paper. And we hadn't told. Cheers, guys. Like, Thanks, guys. Thanks for that. And then I, used, I got loads of lovely messages from people in my life who I haven't seen for a while because of obvious reasons, congratulating me on my wedding that I haven't told them about. 
Mm. And that, I was like, that's my, that's, that's mine to tell. Like that's. Violation, that, isn't it? And I just felt so overwhelmed by it. And I remember when I was pregnant, I was a bit like, well, at some point, and I've seen women recently, this happened to, there's going to be a pap shot of me with like a circle around my belly going, is Laura pregnant? Yeah. Um, and we've seen this with like Natalie Portman, who's not even pregnant. She had to put up saying like, I'm not pregnant. How is this still the narrative? We've seen it with Emma Stone, who doesn't matter if she's pregnant or not, but they've been following that poor woman around, taking pictures of her. Um, and if she wants to tell people she's pregnant, if she is, then let her do that when she wants to. And I felt really lucky because I think I got away with like six months and I was filming Celeb It's a long time. It's a long time. Yeah. And also I've, I've experienced miscarriage in the past. So I was like, I wanted to... I wanted to get my head around a pregnancy first and I also wanted to get to mm. a safe space that I felt comfortable in. And I thought, well, let's, you know, I'm going to talk about this when I'm ready to talk about it. And mm. um, I was like, the first picture of my baby bump is not going to be some creepy man in a bush or in a car outside my house who's selling yeah. that picture to a paper. The first picture will be strong and powerful and it'll be on my terms. On your grounds. On my yeah. grounds. And I um, did a... a there's a brilliant photographer called Claire Rothstein and she did this brilliant video. I recommend anyone who hasn't seen it called um, Be a Lady, the Cynthia Nixon. Oh, did, I yeah. saw it. It made me cry. I saw it on oh, Instagram. Yeah, so powerful. And um, yeah, and Claire did that. And we had kind of been talking back and forth. She didn't know I was pregnant at the time, but about doing a shoot. And I was like, oh God, like she really, like when I saw that and it was an image she did with Rachel McAdams breastfeeding on set. And I, was, I just felt so powerful. I'm like, I... When when the time comes, I want to do it my way and the picture will be the picture I choose. So we had mm. done this photo shoot and we kind of kept it. And I was like, okay, at some point we'll we'll do something with it. And then I got a call from um, my agent saying, oh, I've, one of the papers has said they've got news about you. They're going to write about and they'd love to work with you on it. And I was like, work with me on it. Like, what the, what the hell does that mean? And I was like, screw that. And then I just put up, I'm pregnant. <laughs> It's like, I'm going to say it. Um, Because it's the ownership, isn't it? Yeah, and I just, I don't know, it's still a trigger for me, stuff like that, because it can be overwhelming. Um, And no one teaches you. No one teaches you how... No, well, they it. teach you the opposite to not make a fuss, to you know, don't, don't rock lady. the boat. Yeah, and it, and I think you know, I, I I observed some of the stuff you were doing on Twitter where you were calling out un- behavior that's not normal, that's being normalized. Yeah. It's kind of verging on stalking and harassment, yeah. and you were calling it out as on when it was happening with, with mainly like you know unsolicited pictures, yeah. p- pictures you don't know are being taken in personal moments, not in work moments. And I thought, God, it really goes back to that archaic thing of, you know, even some of the responses from the general public mm. who were thinking this way too, of like, wear a short skirt, you deserve to get raped. And it was it. like, yeah. well, you're on the red carpet some days having your picture taken and posing, so you can't not have your picture taken at these times. And it's like, are we really still there? Is that is that really what we just have to not call He's out so- and just carry on doing? Yeah. And Yeah, there was a brilliant actually response from someone I saw under these comments and I loved her first. She was um, saying, um... I'm a nanny. I mind children for a living. That does not make it okay for a mother to knock on my door at 3 a.m. and give me her kids. <laughs> and I'm like, it's the same <laughs> thing. Such a good analogy. It's a good analogy. Yeah. And and I think a lot of it comes from lack of understanding. I, only because I'm in it, I'm probably a little bit more emotional um, and triggered by it. But I guess to someone at home, they might think that people are setting up these pictures and not know that it's a creepy man yeah. in a car. And some people mm-hmm. do set up pictures and that's your, that, if that's your decision, that's your decision. But it all comes down to de- decisions and consent. And, you know, I'll go to work 
at BBC, and I'll know there's photographers at BBC. It's a work environment. It's a media outlet. There's always going to be photographers there. But actually, a few of them now, they they ask, can I take your picture? I'm like, yeah, look mm. how far we've come, guys. And I'm like, I'm going into work. Yes, you can. Um, and it's in context. It's in at context. least it is actually a media building. And you're outside you're your house there. when you're doing yeah. the bins or you're, you know, you're trying to... Especially when it's like you've got your mother with you or your next door neighbor is, you know, mm. you know, you said your other half doesn't work in this industry. Like, why should why should he be written about? You know, like and yeah. you, you kind of feel really protective of these other people in your life. Yeah. Well, we, they don't want Jackie from Devon criticizing their shoes and jacket. And it's just like, just not I in know. That world. It's like, like it's because Jackie's yeah. opinion matters. Yeah. <laughs> um, another thing I know that you um, do and you're you're really passionate about is you you lend your voice to to causes that really matter to you. And uh, most recently, you were very successful campaigning to legalize abortion mm-hmm. in Northern Ireland. Um, I just wondered how important is it for you to lend your voice to these issues and to taking on these things? It, you need a lot of um, resilience and thick skin yourself. I wondered in the book, do you talk about resilience and how you've developed yours? And Well, also, yeah. it's just kind of getting your head around it. I mentioned like, you know, growing up in a small town in Ireland, um, mm. like I only knew one way. I remember when I was younger, um, going into town in Dublin outside Leinster House government buildings and seeing these signs saying abortion's wrong and pictures of fetuses and 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 to me I just grew up thinking abortion was wrong because that's all I knew when I saw these pictures rather than questioning the whole pro-choice side of things and it was only like when I got older and then you realize people in your life have like you know have had gone through things and the reasons why um some decisions have to be made and I, I talk about this in the book that like I've been so lucky that I've never found myself in a position where I've had to think about abortion. And I'm like, you know, mm. it is not something that you do lightly. It's a woman's body and it's very intrusive. And for that to be a decision that a woman wants to make, there is a reason behind that, whether it's mm. rape, whether it's whatever it is, it's not my, it's not, it's not up to me to make that decision. Just, yeah. But I I mean, never we almost thought, don't have to justify, don't have to justify it because yeah. it's not my body. I can talk about my body, but I can't talk about someone else's. But I remember like realizing that one day because I all I saw was the pictures and this protest years ago as a kid. So I was like, oh, why would they mm-hmm. kill babies? And because that's what was in my head. And then as I got older, as I saw the world, as I heard about women's experiences and women who died because they weren't allowed to have the abortion. Um, and and I was like, what? Like, and for me, it was a learning experience. Um, so there was the this Eighth Amendment in the Irish Constitution. So they were looking to repeal and. Or it's, it was mad to tell my UK friends because over in England, like the law has been very different for a long time. And yeah. a lot of Irish girls just traveled over um, unsafe, mm-hmm. alone, costing them more money. Then, of course, unable to kind of get up checkups that they needed. So it was still happening. It's not like it's not happening. It's that old school mentality of like just brush it under the carpet and we pretend it's not mm-hmm. happening. So it's, it was still happening, but it just there was no protection there for women. And um I mean, I still to this day get tweets saying you want to kill babies. Like it's horrific, but like, wow. You, you, but you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to like overlook things like that, um, because I knew, I knew that. I guess I you know I online. You know, I, I do a lot of television shows. I have a lot of following that of like maybe young female audiences. So I'm like, if I'm speaking about this, I wish I had. I wish I knew more when I was younger. So if I speak mm-hmm. about this, whatever platform I have, um maybe it will just make people a little bit more understanding. 
um, mm. because it's quite overwhelming and it's a big topic. It's a really big topic. And um, I, and you were successful. It was, it was, you know, it, it they, wasn't they were, Yeah, they repealed the eight in, yeah. um, in the Republic of Ireland. And even actually speaking to my family about it, because um, I couldn't vote because um, I've lived in the UK over seven years. So I wasn't allowed to vote in Ireland. But I remember even messaging like my brothers and my dad and I'm not sure they would like always vote and because they probably thought this was something that they ditched, you know, it doesn't, it's, concern, it doesn't concern them. It's a women's body. Yeah. And I was, there was a campaign called Be My Yes. So it's like, if mm-hmm. I can't vote, be my yes. And and yeah, it was repealed and um, it comes by choice. It doesn't matter if I agree or disagree with abortion. It's nothing to mm. do with that. It's up to each individual. And it goes back to consent, doesn't it? Choice. It all mm. kind of comes back to yeah. the same thing. Yeah, um, it and, really does. And even like the book, when I say no one can change your life except for you, it always comes back to you. It's so personal. Mm. Everything is so personal. Your experiences are valid and how you feel is valid. And like you might feel something completely... Like for, for me, I feel really violated when someone takes my picture. I know people in the industry who love it <laughs> and like I work on a show where some people really like it and I'm like good for yeah. you like that that's you like that's and I've no judgment on that because everyone is different and that's the mm-hmm. beauty of life but it all comes back to consent and I think we still really need to work on that word mm, we really do there's there's so much um you know in the book there's so much to take from it there's so much to learn um so guys I really urge you to pick up a copy no one can change your life except for you I love the personal responsibility of the title yeah I think it's going to help a lot of people um and inspire them to to move forward and, and accountability personal responsibility all of those things so um, it's from, from um, a great song Wilson Phillips hold on <laughs> it's <like> my favorite <laughs> song love, love musical <laughs> inspiration here um Thank you so much. You've been extraordinary, oh, as the title you're says. You're extraordinary. It's so nice <laughs> saying nice things to each other, isn't it? <laughs> Just do that. It doesn't more. feel normal, does it? <laughs> Thanks for listening to Casey Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this, or share on socials.